We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 today. Ephesians 3, but I also want you to get your finger in Acts 22. Ephesians 3, Acts 22. And I want to remind you that Wednesday nights this month, we've been doing uh, worship and prayer, and it has been awesome. So I want to encourage you guys to come out 6.30 this Wednesday. We just do a little unplugged thing. We all pack it out down here, and it's been really a blessing. I mean, I'll tell you, we need more prayer in our lives, and when we gather corporately and we pray, oh, man, we can just see God's hand at work. So come on out this Wednesday, 6.30, worship and prayer. You can't go wrong there. Amen? Okay, are you guys in Ephesians? Say amen if you are. Did you get that Acts 22? All right, three people. That's all right. I, you have a little space before I uh, get to that portion. But um, let's begin by the reading of, we're just going to do verses 1 through 7 today. Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation... He made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the Gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. Father, we thank You for the Word of God. And Lord, we ask right now that You would just open our hearts and minds to receive everything that You have for us, Lord God, that we would understand our position in You and in Your desires for us. Lord, speak to us, minister to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been looking at these first three chapters. We'll we'll wind up this third chapter next week as we looked at some great stuff and and one of Paul's prayers that we find in this book of Ephesians. And we've been looking at our position in Christ and how important it is for us to understand our position in Christ. Because if you don't understand how God sees you, you won't be being used to your full capacity Because when you understand what He's done for you, you become so grateful that you're like, i got to do something for Him. Have you ever had somebody just go out of their way and do something fantastic for you? Or or maybe even, uh, you know, clear a debt for you? Or, you know, just like, you know how you see those movies and that guy saves that other guy's life and he goes, bro, whenever you need me, I'm there. Call. I'm there. Right? And you've got those people in your life that all they got to do is call and say, I need you. And you're like, I'm there. That's how we should be with God. Because I know he's tugging on each and every one of your hearts. And he's saying, listen, you know, I got something for you to do. And you're like, I'm there. What is it? And it's not always comfortable. We just read that Paul was a prisoner. He was a prisoner in Rome. But he says, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh, can you grab onto that? I only want to do ministry if it works out. I don't want to do it if it's uncomfortable, right? Lord, I want to serve you, but let it be good. 
And we don't realize that it is good even when it looks like it's a tragedy, even looks like everything's blowing up around us, even when it looks like it's not going to be good for us. We know it's good because all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. And Paul understood that Paul was in exactly the right place that he needed to be. It would be this place that he would write the prison epistles. I mean, you look at Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and some of the letters to the, the pastors. That these things were all written from Rome, from, from prison. God actually had to slow Paul down and say, Paul, you know what? You're kind of a dynamo. You're kind of here going, 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 going. He goes, let me slow you down. Prison. <laughs> but, you know, when we remember when we read chapter 1? And from verse, what was it, 3 to 14, it was one sentence, like 200 words. And you like try holding your breath and then saying that whole little segment. All of a sudden, he's like, he's writing from prison, but he gets so excited and so jacked up with joy, he just starts firing off all the things that the Father's done for us, that the Son has done for us, and the Holy Spirit. He's so excited, he can't stop. And he's in prison. And he's rejoicing what God's been doing in the saints. He's rejoicing what God is doing in his life. And when you're a child of God, and you realize that nothing can happen to you unless God allows it, you're going to do a lot better. Because when you get into those tough situations, you're going to go, I don't like this. I don't get it. I want to scream and get out of here. But you know what, God, I know you're doing something amazing that all things work together for good. And can you rest in that storm and that fiery trial? Or are you like me, just kicking and screaming, trying to get out of that fiery trial? I'm always kicking and screaming. I, I, I don't like to be uncomfortable. But it's funny, once I calm down and I stop screaming, I start seeing his plan unfolding right before my eyes. And I go, oh, that's what you're doing. And then afterwards, even though if it was a painful thing to me, even though it was maybe physically or emotional painful for me for weeks, all of a sudden I can see what God is doing and go, oh, that's what you were doing. <sighs> Forgive me, Lord, for losing faith. Paul never lost faith. I mean, Paul had this attitude, check this out, like, what's the worst they could do? Cut my head off? First class ticket, instant Jesus? I mean, is that such a bad thing? I mean, think about it, you know. You go quick. They say that the, uh, I don't even know why I'm saying this. They say that, they, they say that, that the, uh, the brain still is active for 15 seconds after they cut someone's head off. I could just see his head roll around, then he looks up at those guys and says, how about Jesus now? <laughs> when we've been looking at these three chapters and we see how much God has been doing for us, it should blow you away. That should be what encourages you to serve God. So many times we're going around telling everybody what they need to do for God, and we forget to tell them what God has done for them. What has God done for you? He saved you. Hello. <laughs> the greatest miracle ever. I hear people say, I want to see a miracle. I want to see a miracle. I go, look in the mirror. The greatest miracle that you will ever see or experience is that you got saved and have eternal life. I mean, you know, so I know I know how it is. People want to see this great healing or cancer disappear or an arm grow back or a leg lengthen or something like that. Um, they want to see all that stuff, but what good would that be if God healed you physically, but you were never healed spiritually and you went to hell? The greatest miracle that you ever experienced. You, you've never seen a miracle? Look around this room. There's, there's lots of miracles in this room. 
That's what He's done for you. He's given you promises. You've escaped hell. Oh my goodness. He's, he's, he says, you're not of this world. You're passing through. I'm going I'm to show you my exceedingly great grace throughout eternity. We have so much. He says, I've given you all spiritual blessings at your fingertips. All spiritual blessings. Tap into those things. He even gives us material blessings. He gives us what I need, but sometimes He gives us what we want, right? We have so much from God, but we oftentimes forget what He's done for us. And one of the greatest things that He's done for us too is that He's given us the Holy Spirit. What a mind-blower that Christ dwells in me. Can you grab onto that? That's awesome and a little bit scary. Right? Because it's like, hey, Jesus, you want to go over here? No, I don't, but I, I guess I am. <laughs> Jesus, you want to do this? Not really, but I guess we're doing it. Jesus, do you want to you go over to, to the prayer and worship night? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Jesus, you want to go to church? Yeah. I was thinking about reading the Gospel of John. What do you think? Let's do it. You know, if, when you start thinking about Christ dwelling in you, and every time that I start to go do something or say something that I shouldn't, it's like, it's, it's, I've gotten to this place where the Holy Spirit's like, what are you doing? Why are you talking like that? Oh, if we could just grab onto it, I'll tell you what. Woo! Watch what God's going to do. Verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the Gentiles. Paul, in jail, would spend a lot of time in jail. He spent a couple years in Caesarea. He would be in Rome for years. He'd be let go, then brought back in, and then ultimately beheaded. Um, but he doesn't say that he is a prisoner of Rome. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And the interesting thing about that is he says that God allowed it. Listen, what are you going through today? You're trying to live for God. You're doing your best. You're doing better than you ever did before and you still have these like, tribulations and these trials. Then you can just say, listen, God allowed it for some reason. And here's Paul, not doom and gloom, in prison, but all jacked up. Because to Paul, he wasn't chained to Rome. Rome was chained to him. Because, you guys, when he was in prison in Rome, they have, uh, he'd be chained to two guards. On, I, I think it was four or six hour shifts, there would be two guards at the door. He'd be under this house arrest thing. He'd be chained up. And he didn't look at himself like, I'm chained to these Roman soldiers, but they're chained to me and they can't get away. And I'm going to give the gospel to them. Right? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being chained to me for like six hours? And you couldn't get away? And I'm just going to be teaching you Scripture and telling you what's going on. And, oh, man, you know, you picture these Roman soldiers. They're probably going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm on this job. And then when they would exchange, you know, put the new soldier in, and the other guy would be coming in, he goes, how was it? Oh, man, you're in for it now. And he says, oh, here you go. And, but you know what? He started to wear them down with the love of God. He kept sharing and sharing how much God loves you, how much God's done for you. Take the gift. And finally, guess what? One by one, Roman soldiers were getting saved. And next thing you know, when they were coming in, they were like, how was the service? High five. It was awesome. You're in, you're in for four hours of just awesome. 
And they were excited now to come to be chained to Paul. And how do we know that they were excited? Because in the end of the book of Philippians, Paul says, we all greet you, and especially the household of Caesar. That it, those, See, those, those, those guards were usually family members of Caesar's household. They started going back and leading people to Christ. And next, next thing you know, there's people in Caesar's household getting saved. Is that awesome or what? So the question is, how did Paul get to prison and why? Let's go to Acts 22. Turn backwards. Acts 22. Now, just to kind of set up the scene for you a little bit, um, in Acts 21, uh, you know, Paul's been going out all around the world. He's been preaching the gospel. He's basically in prison for preaching to the Gentiles, okay? I'm, giving, I'm just kind of giving you a spoiler alert. And, and so before chapter 22, what happened was Paul, the, there was a big famine in Jerusalem, and the Jerusalem church was hurting, so Paul collected up all this money from the Gentile church. I mean, you remember that the Jew and the Gentile Christians, there was still some friction there because the Jews didn't really acknowledge Gentiles and thought they had to become Jews before they could be Christians. And there was already this hatred before all this. And the idea that God was saving Gentiles was a little offensive to the Jews. And so Paul thought it would be a great idea like if the Gentile church raised up all this money to help the Jewish church, that would bring them together and bring unity. So Paul shows up in Jerusalem with all this money and he gives it to them. And it's funny because I don't find anywhere where anybody goes, hey, thank you so much. But instead they say, hey, Paul, by the way, can you sponsor a you guys that are doing a Nazarite vow and that would be really great and we're trying to bring people together because you know they think that you're against the law and all this stuff and and so Paul says okay and they do this thing this Nazarite vow thing and then at the end of the week what happens is that um, these guys see him on the temple mount and they accused him to the people there's a huge crowd there and he says this guy he's preaching against the law of Moses and he brought a Gentile on the temple proper you know, like there was a certain zone. Remember we talked about that last week? The Gentiles could stay in their zone, but if they go past that and they were accusing Paul, and though it wasn't true, it started a riot. And Paul always wanted to speak to the Jews, and God says, well, you know what? You'll speak to some, but I'm going to have you speak to kings and the Gentiles, and Gentiles is your primary ministry. And, but he always wanted to speak to the Jews because he thought, man, those are my guys. Those are my peeps. These are the, these are the ones. That, they know me. But we know that scripture says that a prophet is not welcome in his own home, right? In his own country. And so uh, even though God didn't call him to that, he was going to get an opportunity. It wasn't going to work out that great. And so he has he, his first opportunity to maybe speak to him. A riot breaks out. The captain of the Roman soldiers sends the soldiers down to grab him and to bring him out of there before they kill him. And as they bring them out, he, he says to the captain, he says, hey, hey uh, can, I, can I address the crowd? And he speaks in Greek. And the captain's like, wait, oh, I, you speak Greek? You, what? I thought you were an Egyptian. He thought he was like this radical guy that was causing trouble a while back. And he says, yeah, absolutely, address the crowd. So here's Paul now standing on these steps. Who knows where? Maybe Solomon's uh, section where there was these stairs and everybody was down below. I don't know. Um, but he addresses the crowd. And that's what we're getting into now. And he speaks to them in Hebrew. And all of a sudden, everything goes silent. And the crowd's silent. You can hear a pin drop. Acts 22, verse uh, 1. 
He says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in Hebrew language, they, they kept all the more silent. And he said, then he said, I am indeed a Jew born of Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this, in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous towards God as you all are today. I persecuted this way. The way was the Christian. That, that was what they called Christianity back then, the way. I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. And also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered and said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now that's pretty crazy right there because Paul was persecuting the church and he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, who you're persecuting. And Paul must have thought, I ain't persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church. But what is that telling you? This is where Paul would develop his whole thing is that the church is the body of Christ. And when you come against the church, you're coming against Jesus Christ. And those who were with me, verse 9, indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. And then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with the Jews, who dwelt there, came to me. He stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour I looked at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and to hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be a witness to all men what you have seen and heard. And now, while you are waiting, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when he returned to Jerusalem. When I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem. So Jesus comes to him and says, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. He wanted to speak to the Jews. God says, get out of there. They're not going to receive your testimony. So he said, I said to the Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by the consenting standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who killed him then he said to me depart for i will send you far from here to the gentiles so you got this scene caused a riot gets rescued by the soldiers asked if he could address the crowd speaks in hebrew you can hear a pin drop and he's talking to this crowd and they're tracking with him he's like yeah I, 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 you know, I, I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia. They're like, oh, okay, he's a Jew. you're a Jew? 
And he's got Roman citizenship. Wow, that's pretty. And I studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Oh, that's awesome. At the feet of Gamaliel. That's like the greatest teacher in all of Judea. This, oh, wow, are you kidding me? And then he said, and my zealous, my zealous, this was just like you guys, um, and that I went after these Christians and I killed them, and they're like, oh, this guy is right on. He's killing Christians and imprisoning them and beating them. And he goes down through this whole list, and they're like going, oh, yeah, okay, oh, really? Oh, yeah, ooh, solid, yeah. And then he starts talking about his testimony. And he starts saying, you know, as I was off to kill some Christians in Damascus, the Lord himself met me on the road. And knocked me down. And with this bright light, he called me to himself. And I received Jesus. And he woke me up to the truth. And when I came back, I wanted to speak to the Jews, but he said that they wouldn't receive me. And they're tracking with him, they're tracking with him, they're tracking with him. And everything was going good until he said, oh yeah, and God sent me to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. And then they lost it. He said one word, Gentile, and that was it. And they freaked out, started tearing their clothes and ripping their clothes and throwing dirt over the head, and then they wanted to tear him into pieces, and the captain grabs Paul. He grabs the soldier and says, get Paul, get him out of here before they tear him limb from limb. And he says, and take that Paul guy and go, go scourge him, go whip him till we get some answers of what's really going on here. And so they bind Paul, and they're taking him away, and all of a sudden Paul goes, is, is it right to bind a Roman citizen without witnesses and they were like oh you're a roman citizen because you can't do that you get in a lot of trouble you could even be put to death for for beating a, Ro a roman citizen citizen without witnesses and out proof right and so all of a sudden they were all freaked out so the soldier goes to the captain and says this guy's a roman citizen he goes what so they're holding him, and so the next day, the captain takes him before the religious council to hear what he has to say, and that didn't work out. And they, they got him out of there before he started to tear him apart there. And while they were holding Paul in this area, waiting for some further notice, all of a sudden there was this group, a conspiracy, over 40 guys that were, they took a vow. They said, we're not going to eat or drink till we kill Paul. How'd that go for you, right? I mean, and, and so, so the word gets to uh, Paul's sister's nephew who comes and tells Paul, and, and then Paul sends him to the captain to tell him, and he says, this is what's going on. And so the captain says, okay, he tells his soldiers, put together um, 200 men uh, armed and get 70 guys on horses. We're going to put this Paul guy on horseback. We're going to march him down to Caesarea uh, for the governor down there to hear this whole thing, what's going on here. And so they do this at 9 o'clock at night, and can you just see this whole entourage of armed forces and 70 horses, 200 spearmen, and they're all armed, ready for battle, and Paul's on a horse, and they're marching him out, and here's these some 40 guys that took a vow of, I'm not going to eat or drink, and Paul's like, aloha, right? But Paul said, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm right where God wants me to be. That's speaking to somebody tonight, today, tonight, whatever, tonight somewhere. But that's speaking to somebody here today. You're in a place that's not comfortable, but God knows exactly what he's doing. Paul says, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In Galatians 6.17, we, we read not too long ago, 
that Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He says, you want to see the proof of my ministry? Look at my scars. He didn't say, I bear the marks of my body of Lystra, the guys that stoned me, or the guys in Philippi that beat me, or the guys that whipped me. He says, I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus. He said, listen, I got these marks because I was doing, I was being obedient to what God called me to do in an angry world that was falling apart. In verse 2, he says, let me get back to Ephesians. In verse 2, he says, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Dispensation is a word that speaks of stewardship. It, it, It speaks of dispensing. Paul is, in a sense, he's saying, listen, something was given to me for me to give to you. I'm doing my job. God gave this to me. He revealed this to me so I could reveal it to you. He's revealed it by the Spirit to the apostles and the prophets, and we are to give it to you. And that's important for us to understand. God entrusted Paul with the true gospel. God has entrusted us with something to do. Every one of you has a calling. Whether you're doing it or not, you still have that calling. And maybe you might think, I want to do something else for God. Well, finish what He's called you to do. Because if you're not faithful with the little things, you won't be faithful with the big things. Are you stagnant right now? Because you're not using what God has entrusted you, has given you to perform. As soon as you do that, then you can move forward. So the question is, what is God entrusting you with today? And are you doing it? God entrusted Paul to preach the gospel and the mystery primarily to the Gentiles. That was his ministry. Oh, yes, he would speak to kings. Oh, yes, he would speak to Jews. But primarily his ministry was to speak to Gentiles. And they put him in jail for that. Paul was obedient to his call. So the question is, is are we? Could you do it at the risk of suffering? You know, months ago, when we opened back up, I got a letter from a state official, a prosecuting attorney, who, I guess you would call it a warning or a threat, Turn away 75% of your church, make them all wear masks, and then the health department told me, don't let anybody sing and don't lay hands on people and touch them. Or you're going to go to jail for a year and have a $5,000 fine. And I was like, wow. And I prayed and I prayed and I just felt God say, keep it open. Don't worry about it. They haul you away. It's all good. You know, if they... You, you stay open till they haul everybody away and chain the door. And, and then my son Joshua, he wasn't an encouragement. He was like, well, maybe, maybe God wants you to preach in prison. It's like, shut up. Right? But, but 
maybe. Right? How far are you willing to go? See, when you understand the first three chapters of Ephesians and what God's done for you, you're just like, whatever you want, I'm doing it. Just tell me. What, what, what's my marching orders today? Ooh, that's a little scary. Oh, I know you're with me. We're doing it. And watch what God can do through your life. You might be here today and say, I can't, I just, I, you know, I can't do anything. You can't. He can do it through you. See, the beauty of what God does is he, he offers you all these things. He offers you the gift of salvation. You escape hell. He says, listen, I've given you these promises. You're going to live with me forever. You're going to get a new body. I'm just going to be showing you all these crazy things throughout eternity. You can stand on these promises. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You're going to think like you can't do anything. That's all right, because you can't. But I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who can. And the Holy Spirit's going to do these things through me. I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. And the Holy Spirit's going to give you the strength to do it. And then afterwards, I'm going to reward you for what the Holy Spirit did in you. What did I do? I just showed up. So what am I telling you today? You're here today. You don't think you can be used by God. Just get in the zone. Isn't that what they say to the football guys, the receivers? Just get in the zone, bro. That's what God wants to do for you. But he's not going to force you. Our job is to get the gospel out, but to remember not to tell people what they can do for God, but to tell them what God has done for them, because that changes lives. And listen, every one of us has a past, and maybe that past is keeping you from serving. Can I remind you that God forgave you of your past? The past is past, it's gone. Can't change it. But you can change today. And you can change tomorrow. And God likes to do a lot with a little. And when the people around see you, a changed person, it's going to blow their mind. It's going to be a witness and a testimony. And let's read verses 2 through 6. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Here it is. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Wow. That we would have that same access as Gentiles, that we would hold those same promises, and that God would see us on the same level. So what was the mystery that was hidden from the Old Testament believers? It wasn't that Gentiles would be saved, because sometimes people will say that. It's not that. We knew all through the Old Testament the Gentiles, God had a, a thing for them that they were going to be saved. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 17 where God tells Abraham, you know, we, we find out that Abraham's faith was accounted to him for righteousness. He was saved by faith and not by works. Not to mention Abraham was a Gentile and an idolater. He made little action figures to be sold for idolatry. 
And God says, through you, you will be the father of many nations. Nations. Israel is one nation. So there was the hint back there in Genesis 17 that, that God was going to be saving Gentiles. And then in Isaiah 11, verse 10, it says, And in that day there shall be the root of Jesse, speaking of our Lord, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. So then the question is, so what is the mystery? The mystery that's being revealed in the New Testament through Paul and the other apostles and prophets, the mystery is that both Jew and Gentile would be saved the same way. Born again. That both Jew and Gentile had to come to Jesus the exact same way and be born again. Not that the Gentiles had to become a Jew first, and see, so now you can understand when we, we look and we see the Judaizers coming in, following Paul after he starts a church and saying, listen, you've got to keep the law. You've got to be circumcised and have faith in Jesus Christ. You can understand why they were doing that. Because they thought, wait a minute, we had the oracles of God. We were keeping the feasts. We were doing the rituals. We were doing this. We were doing that. So we became Christians. So I guess Gentiles need to become Jews before they could become Christians. And that was the mystery. God was saying no. See, in the old days, in the Old Testament, a Gentile could come and, and follow after the God of Israel. But, you know, he had limitations. The court of Gentiles. And so when this whole thing comes out and God says, just come as you are, it's free. The Jews are a little upset. The Gentiles are like, woohoo, hallelujah, I'm saved. Wee. The, Gentile, the Jews were like, what? that's not right. All this stuff that I've been doing all my life, keeping the laws, keeping the dietary laws, man, I saw those guys eating those ham sandwiches. I wanted one. I didn't. Are you kidding me? We've been, we've been bringing sacrifices, do this, do that, and then all of a sudden the cross is done and God puts an end to the law and now He says, come by grace and these guys just get to slip in? Yep. That's the good news. So the question would be, Why did the Jews have to do all they had to do till Jesus came? Because God wanted them to be set apart from the world. God entrusted them with the oracles of God, the Word of God. He had them do things in such a way that they stood out, that they were different. And God wanted them to be a witness to a lost and dying world that a Messiah was coming. And the Jew was looking for the Messiah. And their actions and the way they lived was a testimony to all of the world that the Messiah was coming. And when the Messiah came and gave his life on the cross for you and me, he ripped that veil in two. And he said, now just come to me by faith and live for eternity. Verse 6 where he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. That was a heavy statement. That through Christ Jesus, Jew and Gentile would be made a one people, one body, fellow heirs, and partakers of the same promises. It wouldn't be like there's a first class Christian and a second class Christian. 
We're all the same. Listen, I, I don't have any more standing with God than you do. You know, because sometimes people can look at, at a pastor and go, oh, wow, he's like, you know, is, is he the first-class Christian? And, um, and the deacons are the second-class Christians, and then the rest of us are like third-class Christians? No, we're all first-class. <laughs> no charge. That's pretty cool to think about. And so the mystery was that there would be equality. There was never equality before. Remember the Jew would wake up in the morning, the Jewish man, he'd say, thank God I'm not a dog, a woman, or a Gentile. Oh my gosh, women had no rights. God was the best thing that ever happened to women. Jesus was the best thing. And he tore down that wall. And he said, no, now, now there's equality. That a Jew and a Gentile were equal. There was this huge separation between Jew and Gentile. There was a super-duper hatred. And before you get too hard on the Jews who hated the Gentiles and just looked at them as dogs and immoral and out of control, you got to remember the Gentiles earned that title. And the Jews thought, well, at least we're closer to God. At least we're trying. That's why it was so hard when Jesus said, no, Jew and Gentile, just, just come as you are. They were like, wait a minute, wait, what? We were nearer to you than, they, what? What? They just get to come in and say, save me? They don't have to do everything we did? That's right. That's the grace of God. That's how amazing God is. So now, they were equal. See, in the Old Testament, there was two groups. Gentile and Jew. But after the finished work of the cross, now there's three groups in the world. Gentile, Jew, Christian. So when we got saved, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, God says no longer Jew or Gentile, no longer man or woman, no longer bond or free, but one in Christ. And that's the good news. Also check this out. Here's something else that was really cool that was a mystery. Colossians 1.26 says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope and glory. That what was revealed is that when you became born again, Christ would dwell in you. That's the good news. All the power is right in there. But he's not going to force you to serve him. But you have access to all of God's power right at your fingertips. Lord, use me. Okay, just be willing. That's all you got to do is be willing. You didn't have that in the Old Testament. This was the, the Old, Holy Spirit didn't dwell in people in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon certain people like Samson and David and others. But the Holy Spirit didn't dwell. That's what makes the church so unique is that you've got the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Christ, the hope and the glory. That's good stuff. Our last verse for the day is verse 7. He says, Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. Paul is saying, this is what I'm preaching to you. These truths, take them in. But the power of God has to make these things real in your life. 
You have to submit yourself to God. When you read the Bible, don't just read the Bible. Say, Lord, open my eyes to what I'm reading. When you come into a service, Lord, let me, let me hear what you're saying to me. Give me an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. Paul's saying what I'm preaching to you is true. It is right. It is God's Word. But the power of God has to make it real in our lives. You must respond to the Word of God. And we need to remember that we've got to do ministry in the power of God and not in our own flesh. And that can only be by the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that. We need to do ministry by His power, by His grace, by the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to see His power in our lives, it's only going to come with more praying. The more you pray, the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you get in His Word, the more powerful God will work in your life. I believe that with all my heart. That's why we're doing the Wednesday night prayer and worship thing and we're seeing stuff happen. Stuff is happening. The walls are coming down. God is infilling people with His power. It's awesome. Pray, pray, pray. So we see that in these first three chapters that God has chosen us, He's predestined us before the foundations of the world because He's omniscient, however you say that. <laughs> he knows everything. We see that we're redeemed by what Jesus did on the cross. We see through the Holy Spirit we have a promise. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have the, the promise of eternal life that God is going to use us. We have an inheritance. We're seated in the heavenlies. He already sees us there. Now what we're called to do is to get out there and spread the good news. We see that the Scriptures that we've been looking at that we're now we're one in Christ. The Jew and Gentile are equal. We, everybody has to come to Jesus the same way. You must be born again. Everybody's got to do it the same way. And we all have the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to close with this. You have the Holy Spirit in you to do what you can't. Remember when God was speaking to Joshua and uh, was it, who was it? Zechariah. I think it's Zechariah 4. And he was telling them all these things they're going to do, and they're kind of like, yeah, I don't think so. And you know what he said to them? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. God is going to give you the power to do all things in his name. Amen? Father, we thank you for the word of God. What a blessing it is to our heart, Lord, because we know it's your desires for us. It's the manual for life. And Lord, right now, we ask that you just fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit, Lord, as we step out of this place into the mission field, that you would give us divine appointments and strengthen us. If there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus, would you right now just say, Lord, forgive me. I believe that you're the creator of all things. 
and that you hold the power to save. I'm putting my trust in you right now. I never have done this before, but I'm trusting you now, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and make me a child of God. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that in your heart, you become born again. Now just live for Jesus. And Lord, for the rest of us, just jumpstart our hearts, Lord God. Give us a new excitement, a new joy, a new love for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.